Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, a CHIME series where we bring you the best of the best in digital health leadership. I'm Russ Branzell, your host for this podcast and the president and CEO of CHIME, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. We are definitely living in unprecedented times for our healthcare professionals, our IT leaders, and our industry partners, plus the people we serve. Leaders across the industry are showing their talent and their determination as they innovate and transform their organizations to meet the moment and shape the future. We're proud to know those leaders and support them here at Chime. Today, we welcome another outstanding leader whose experience is an amazing asset to our industry and to us at Chime. Ricky Kaplan is the CEO of the HCI Group. After a 2017 merger, Ricky's also become one of the top global leaders for Tech Mahindra, a global technology company with over 117,000 employees. Under his leadership, the combined companies are thriving through their continued support of the adoption of digital technologies in the healthcare space. Ricky's got an amazing background, though. He has also uh, won the 2015 Ernst & Young Florida Entrepreneur of the Year Award, the Jacksonville Business Journal's Ultimate CEO Award, and has received national recognition for his civic service. Volunteers all over the place. He's another one of those people like me and so many of us in healthcare IT that doesn't know how to say no. He's got an amazing education background as well. He graduated with a bachelor's and a master's in accounting from the University of Florida, and he completed executive education from the Harvard Business School and the University of Michigan. Uh, He is an amazing dad and husband. He lives in Jacksonville with his wife and three children. Ricky, welcome to the program. Thanks for the introduction, Russ, and, and thanks so much for having me. Well, boy, what a journey we have been on over the last two years as we will, I'm sure, look back at some point in our careers and in our lives and go that period of the pandemic. But most importantly, how are you? How's your family doing? How are the great friends of ours at HCI Group and Tech Mahindra doing? Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're doing great. Just um, got over a mild case of the Omicron, which uh, the kids had no symptoms and I had a little congestion, but we're, we're blessed and, and grateful. Everyone's healthy and uh looking forward to this year. Well, as you, as we just mentioned, this last 20 months or so, well, really almost now fast approaching 24 months has been filled with some pretty constant changes, uncertainty, and, you know, advancement, innovation, so many different things in, in this period of the pandemic. Um, so this was not really that much longer after really the HCI and Tech Mahindra merger really started happening and working together well. You know, how did you help lead through all this chaos and change over not just the merger period, but now merger, post-merger with, uh, <laughs> with all this COVID going on? Yeah, I, it's, it's, been, it's been a whirlwind. Um, you know, I, I, I always say it's better to be lucky than good. And if you can be both, that's great. And um, I, uh, I think a lot of the reasons that we did the merger with Tech Mahindra um, Kind of proved to be uh, along the right path for where things needed to to head, and they headed much faster with with the onset of COVID and the virtualization of the workforce. Um, Tech Mahindra had acquired the HCI Group so they could take our deep domain expertise and client base and offer uh, a lot of uh, large scale managed services and infrastructure and applications, but also help organizations automate 
and move to the cloud. Um, and we've seen that happen o over overnight. Uh, people weren't working together uh, and people have, have started moving much, much faster. I think COVID catalyzed it. And so we were very fortunate. Uh, we won a, a number of large deals. And interestingly enough, we transitioned some of those large deals where there would be lots of people and lots of travel expenses uh, prior to COVID, where, where we did 100% virtual transition and go lives of teams of hundreds of people for large scale um, organizations. And we've we've been fortunate to win uh, some of the largest application managed service deals ever in the provider space, and those have gone well. And so it, it's forced us to innovate. Um, and then I know we, we've uh, we've talked before about the, the virtual health bet that we made, uh, but that's been another one. Uh, we were already down that path thanks to Ed Marks and, and some of the leadership at Tech Mahindra and COVID catalyzed that. And so we made a significant investment in building out a, a, a virtual health platform that was complementary to the electronic health records of the day and the digital front door. And there's been a lot of innovation in that space. We, we have uh, remote patient monitoring, um, virtual hospital and EICU and lots of things that probably would have happened five, 10 years down the road that, um, that happened overnight or at least over, over a few weeks. And so we've continued to innovate, but I think COVID just served as a catalyst and forced us to innovate faster. And we were fortunate to already be heading down that path from a strategic direction. Yeah, in, in your company, obviously, consulting companies usually have a lot of virtual workers, people that are not always all coming into an office, but this kind of helping people through this period of time where we're locked down this week, not locked down, we're changing how we work, we can get on planes, we can't get on planes. You know, how did you help your team as the CEO and the, the senior leader? How did you help people adapt during this period of time? Yeah, so probably like a lot of the country, we decided on a Friday that we were going to go 100% virtual on a Monday. <laughs> uh, really, we had no choice, like like much of the world. And um, and so we implemented some processes just from uh, uh, some some um, daily huddle meetings where it touched every phase of the organization. And so it would our first meeting happens first thing in the morning um, at a, a staff and manager level and moved up the ranks. There's four levels of meetings um, that are each 15 minutes. And by lunchtime, the executive team was getting an update on every metric we decided to measure as a company. And we got better and better at measuring metrics in the company. And, and, and um, we actually shine light on a lot of inefficiencies and it caused us to, to operate at a much, much better level. Um, and what's interesting, I probably was the biggest naysayer in the entire group. We, we have a, in our organization, we have a lot of young, talented employees. Um, you know, we have recruiters and account managers and folks that are typically only a few years out of college. And knowing myself, I wouldn't have trusted myself at that age if I'm working from home. You know, I take a break and go um, play with a dog or watch a TV show or something like that. And so I didn't think it was going to work well. But I, I'm glad to say I was proven wrong. And um, our productivity upticked big. Um, and, uh, and now, as we look into the future, um, we definitely, and, and I know many, this isn't, this isn't any surprise, many organizations um, aren't going to need the commercial office space. I think you're seeing in, in large cities, there's, there's some where politically it's the right thing to do to go back into the office. But what I'm seeing is organizations that 
are at least rethinking the way they have their office space where it's more hoteling and innovation um, space. And I think that's what we'll head towards where it'll be kind of like a our own mini WeWork where we have some innovation and collaboration space. But I don't see the need to have an on-site workforce, which which also opens up the global markets um, and certainly the, the entire country for us from hiring talent. They can just remote in and if we need to have someone in person, they'll, they'll hop on a plane and, and be there. Well, I mean, we're, we're a living example of that just as well. And that is Chime Now, as of January 1st, has no physical office space. We are a 100% virtual company. And for some that are used to going into office for 25 years, 30 years of their careers, it's, it's, it's a little bit of adaption. But, uh, well, one of the biggest adaptions you had to make, Ricky, was obviously you were the king of your own domain as when HCI Group was was one of its own. Um, and then you merged. And, and sometimes the term mergers and acquisitions has a really negative connotation in our industry because so many of them didn't work. And, and even to this day, a lot of them don't work really well. Uh, and then sometimes it's really a blessing. Wow, these two people came together, these two organizations came together, and it really uh, was a one plus one equals three. And that's that's kind of what we've seen with you all because it was two different parts that complemented each other. I'd love to hear some of your advice on one, how you all have made this successful when so many have not worked. And also, you know, what are the pros and cons of this when you're really kind of in some ways giving up control? <laughs> well, let me start with a funny story. Um, speaking of the mergers in this space. So it was, I think it was at a chime and um, uh, Carl Dvorak had introduced me to Ivo Nelson and the news had <laughs> just kind of leaked. And Ivo obviously has had some success in this industry and in building a couple successful companies and exiting. And he, he, I think to encourage me, made a wager that Carl witnessed. Um, and I believe it was a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle that um, the merger may not be successful just because of some of the challenges that you alluded to earlier. So that might have been some side motivation in why we worked so hard to make this successful. Um, but all, all kidding, all kidding aside, um, we definitely went through through pains and, and struggles, and there's a lot of lessons learned um, of, of how we could have done things better. But in the end, uh, I am so blessed to have worked with the leadership and people of Tech Mahindra because when it came to those really tense moments um, and things where where things could have possibly not gone. Um, in a mutually beneficial uh, relation, they really do make did make the right decisions, and they've been a great partner um, in a lot of ways to to work with. So I think the tone at the top, uh, I'd say also um, it was interesting. So we we spoke to a number of other large um, organizations that um, were interested in acquiring us when we when we had decided to sell the company, and um, one of the things I really liked about Tech Mahindra was I got to know. Uh, their CEO and managing director, C.P. Gernani. And C.P. Uh, <laughs> offered to mentor me and offered to give me as much rope as I needed to make this thing successful. And uh, and he really did. They, they, they backed that up and they allowed us to operate with our culture and adopt the best practices. And we, uh, we, we co-created what ultimately uh, the HCI group has become, which is Tech Mahindra Healthcare um, life science division. You got to be careful with that analogy of rope because every once in a while that rope can come back and uh, <laughs> get a little tight. But I know in your case, you did wonders with it. And it was it was really, truly a, a great spot for you and, and continues to be. Now, I know you personally have continued to focus on 
leadership development, helping people, careers. I mean, you just always pour into people and helping new leaders develop in HIT, especially in the Jacksonville area. And I know this is something you're really passionate about and and from whatever that'd be brand new coming up through the STEM programs or just helping people move to the next level. Can you share a little bit about the things you're doing, especially in that Jacksonville area, but really even more at a macro level? Um, so let me first start with the, the, the HCI group. One, one of the biggest things being a, a young founder that I really had to, had to deal with was how do I step away and not have to have my hand on the pulse of everything and allow people to flourish and support them. And it was a, it was a, it was, it was a difficult lesson for me to learn to go from being founder owner to more of a, um, a, a, a mentor um, board member. Um, and so I had to learn that and it was tough letting go. A lot of my personal identity, uh, at least from people who know me in the business world was tied up as the CEO of, of the HCI group and what we had built. So through, through, um, some life lessons and just a a lot of good advice. And I was able to let go and that, that enabled me to really take a lot of the, uh, lieutenants and, and, um, and young talented people and put them in positions to thrive. And, and a lot of times that meant I wasn't going to be showing up on calls that they might've wanted me to show up on, or I wasn't going to be able to, um, answer things that I would have typically answered. And it may have been frustrating for them, but guess what? They started making their own decisions and stepping up and doing just fine. Um, and so, you know, I think that's been a, a big, a big success for us. Uh, Personally, I like building things and creating things and, and, and investing in, in people that I believe in that are high character. And so I've been really fortunate in my family office to um, to launch uh, a number of different types of companies where it's all about betting on people of high character and enabling them to support. And so those businesses, um, the operating companies are really starting to flourish. And now we have hundreds of people employed in that. And then uh, we, we recently launched our accelerator, the Aurora Forge which is basically seeding early stage health tech companies um, where we're finding a lot of young founders and empowering them uh, with with great advisors, access to capital, shared services, and then the ability to stand up pilots quickly um, while we go after um, uh, grants through DARPA and ARPA-H. Well, obviously, this is a bug you'll probably never lose because you are just kind of wired for innovation and building and growing and all that kind of stuff. That's just kind of the way you're wired, to say the least. But, you know, one of the things in the end is, you know, healthcare to be better. I mean, I think we all have that same passion. We wouldn't work in healthcare. We'd go work in another industry. But I know you've got a, a real bug for innovation and, and fixing healthcare that's broken in so many ways. Uh, what, you know, what are some of those great opportunities that you see out there for not just you and, and the stuff you mentioned, your family office and, and your accelerator and this kind of, but really even as the industry, what can we do to really capitalize on the opportunities? I mean, we just came out of, we're, we're really not out of COVID, we're in the next wave, but mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's just so many opportunities for people to make a difference. Right. That's a good question. I'll give you some examples or, or just thoughts that, that come to mind of, of opportunities for people to seize. Um, healthcare's tough. I mean, it took us a, a long time to build relationships in, and it's, these are large organizations that do not make decisions quickly that frankly um, have, in my opinion, a lot of times been underfunded uh, when we look at the health systems. 
And so these are all things that probably uh, STEMI innovation. Um, and so when, when I look at it, I think there's opportunities uh, as an industry. And I do see, I mean, like almost every day now, you see a, a health system launching a digital health fund or some sort of innovation fund where they're ready to invest. And hopefully they're making those uh, barriers easier to, to innovate. And so I think that ecosystem of encouraging innovation, uh, encouraging uh, industry leaders and CIOs uh, to be able to be involved in uh, startup companies and advisory boards while being the CIO, I think these are all beneficial things to an organization. I know we had talked about uh, Chime doing a white paper on on the benefits because uh, this will allow a lot of companies to, to have access and to innovate much faster if the people who are the key decision makers from a digital strategy are involved in advising them. Um, and then it'll certainly bring innovation and emerging technologies into those organizations. So that's one idea. And then there's another thing that I, I keep uh, I keep preaching on, um, and that's ARPA-H, which is coming. I think I'm actually speaking to uh, Senator Blunt tomorrow um, about this, but that's going to come, I think, sometime this year. And there's a, a, a big bucket. I don't know the exact, but it's in the billions that's going to be earmarked for grants for innovation in healthcare. And I would really love to see some organization methodically thought through about how we can encourage health systems to work with startup companies to create innovation on some of the big challenges and problems that they wanna tackle. Instead of doing it through a traditional, we're gonna apply for a grant, do a bunch of research, then let someone else commercialize, let's come together with a much smarter, uh, leaner, more collaborative model. And, and certainly, um, those are those are some ideas of, of, of how I might approach it. That's awesome. Well, you, you can't be innovative and have those kinds of ideas without having a bit of a futurist mindset because you know, you've got to see the future to guide to the future. And so, you know, here's that that great question that we always ask great leaders like yourself. And that is, you know, where are we going? Because as you said, we did 10 years worth of change in, I don't know, 12, 18 months. So if we've now accelerated at this pace and the acceleration doesn't seem to be slowing down, you know, where do you see us going and how fast are we going to get there in that next pick, pick a period of time, three years, five years, whatever you feel comfortable with. But what are these next big changes we're going to see? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think to, as much as possible down the road, people are not going to be going into doctor's offices um, and hospitals unless they absolutely have to. Certainly there's there's certain types of procedures and certain types of things where you need to have someone physically there. Um, but I think I think from, from anything that doesn't require that, it's gonna be a concierge experience, just like your banking and social media and, 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 and the, the metaverse is headed. I think healthcare is gonna have to head there and it already has. We've got plenty of examples we can point to, um, but certainly young mothers, unless they have to, they're not going to be going into the physician office very regularly. I think you're also starting to see a lot more concierge medicine where doctors are leaving and they're standing up uh, uh, practices where they can go in homes and, and, and visit people. Uh, I think technology is going to drive a lot of the, the innovation of the future. I'm not even going to get started on how the reimbursement models work in the future, but I think that's going to have to change uh, significantly as well. Um, so those are all a few examples, but I'm not oh, sure. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I said, I'm, I'm not sure there's gonna be a lot of change. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And I think 
you know, whatever we think is going to happen is probably either going to happen faster than we expect, or it'll be something we're not expecting and, and it'll happen faster than we expect. So it'll be an interesting period for us. Well, as our, as our time's getting a little closer to running out, I got a few more questions for you. Uh, and, and part of that is, you know, we've been blessed in life. I think you said that earlier that way to really get to work in an industry where we can make a difference and where we can really help change lives. And I know that's a big thing for you. Uh, both personally and professionally, but maybe for different reasons at different times, you know, where do you see the greatest opportunity for us really just make a difference? Whether that's access to care or making it easier for these organizations to operate or on a personal level, just to serve. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Mm. You know, as blessed as we are in this country to to have world-class healthcare and the ability to almost see a doctor on demand um, and get medication right away. The vast majority of the world is not that way. Um, And there's a lot of people who are hurting. And I think that's one of the things that excites me most about technology. Uh, Today, if you look at a country like India, no matter what your status is or, or how much wealth you have, almost everybody has connectivity now. Um, Certainly in the U S Almost everybody has connectivity and with the latest infrastructure uh, bill, everybody should have connectivity um, in the coming years. And so if we can figure out how through technology to get world-class healthcare to the world as needed, that's exciting to me. And, and I, I think, you know, Russ, we've talked before, we had a, a, an opportunity to do that in India during covid when we launched our virtual health platform into the rural villages um, of of India with a partner of ours, Good Shepherd India. And that has been so rewarding. Certainly, you know, I think technology is going to get much, much better. But to imagine that we could do that today in the jungles of a third world country and provide care and peace of mind, what an opportunity. And when people are their most vulnerable, it's when they have a loved one who is sick and not well, and hurting and scared. And so to be able to love someone and provide healthcare to them in that moment, it's such an opportunity to do wonders and shine light on darkness. So. Yeah, it, 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 it is an amazing thing when you think how flat the world is becoming. And I think I've told you the story before. It was only a few years ago that, you know, I'm sitting in the Atlanta airport and I can barely get enough signal to, to call home, which isn't far from there. Uh, and then I get on a plane to fly all the way on a mission trip to Nicaragua and I'm in the jungles of Nicaragua and I've got four bars. Um, right. It just, it, it seems so bizarre, but it's the reality now. Um, there's so many things that make the world flat now as that great book talks about. Well, here I'm, I'm going to ask you so that, that really hard question because on your introduction and, and, you know, uh, for, for all of our listeners, this is happening right after uh, that great epiphic moment in sports, uh, which is the college football uh, national championship. And so, as you know, uh, Ricky is a Florida Gator. And so um, my wife happens to be a, a Georgia Bulldog. So there is much celebration going on in our household. So I guess the question first and foremost is how about those dogs, Ricky? I, I got to be honest. I am <laughs> thrilled for University of Georgia. I'm, I'm happy for them. I've got a lot of UGA friends and I was glad to see that Alabama shared the wealth a little bit. 
<laughs> well, maybe in a few years, we'll see those gators back on. I'm not sure my wife would like that comment, but uh, <laughs> no, you, you are a great gator supporter. You got some great friends that are, that are past gators with you as well, that really are trying to make a difference in this country. And I greatly appreciate it. Thank you, Russ. Well, on that note, Ricky, any final pearls of wisdom you want to share from from just really maybe just from your perspective as a leader? You know, forget healthcare, this kind of stuff. Maybe some guiding principles that you have as kind of a final thought. Right before we spoke, I was just thinking about all the noise and how there's so much going on, and and just the the phrase the tyranny of the urgent came to mind, and I just think with with today with 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 media and COVID and all of the turmoil and change, we just really need to to take a step back and focus on what's really ma- what really matters and what's eternal. And a lot of these things are going to be just the passing wind. Um, and so to have that that um, you know really impactful eternal vision on why we do what we do, uh, I, I'd say that those are my parting words of wisdom. Well, Ricky, on on a personal level, thank you so much for your friendship, your mentorship and and guidance over the years. You've been an amazing friend to myself and professionally, the the impact you've made on our industry and how much you care about Chime, our industry, our profession. Uh, You truly are one of those people that everybody should should truly thank. And, And we do on behalf of Chime and our entire community. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Russ. And thank you for your servant leadership. It's just been a privilege um, working with you and being your friend over the years. And I'm so grateful for Chime and all of its volunteers that serve there. Uh, thank you. And thank you again for all of you that are listening and joining us for this episode of our Leader to Leader podcast. You can visit us on Spotify or chimecentral.org forward slash media for this and all of our amazing podcasts from top healthcare leaders. But for now, we encourage you to stay safe, continue to be vigilant during this point of the of this pandemic. If you haven't, please consider getting vaccinated and boosted. Uh, we want to make sure you're safe, the people around you you care about safe. But most importantly, we want you to be able to serve and make a difference in our industry. So on that note, take care and God bless.